Hello and welcome to episode 267 of the Waters Waveland podcast. I'm your host, Wei Shen, and I've got Tony with me here today. Hey T, how's it going? How was the 4th of July? 4th of July was good. Um, I d- fireworks don't do much for me, if I'm being honest. Um, okay. Yeah, like like some people like love to go like down to the waterfront, like with a firework. If I'm lighting off the fireworks, it's awesome. Just like looking at things, like I was like, eh, that doesn't do anything for me. But hung out with Reb, um, and had some Cajun barbecue. Mm. While there were a bunch of bootleg fireworks going off overhead. So it was cool. It was fine. It was fine. It was it was whatever. Anyway, we beat the British. That's that's what we <laughs> celebrate. I, I like to let all my English reporters know that. So <laughs> Oh, they'll they'll definitely be there. Yeah, they'll have fun listening to this. But yeah. So tell me who's our guest this week. So numerics. <laughs> Actually, this is pretty funny, but we'll get into it on the podcast a little bit. But Numerics acquired FinCAD, and I interviewed Steve O'Hanlon, somebody whom I've spoken with. Uh, he took over Numerics right around when I joined um, uh, Waters. And we were talking about like where the company's going, everything like this after his acquisition. I was like, okay. And I was like, I'm going to publish a story or whatever. So I published my column a couple hours before, and I didn't look to see because I, I was not expecting well Steve O'Hanlon is stepping aside and Numerics has a new CEO mm-hmm. and I was like oh that is absolutely terrible timing for right now but that was all on me um, so I wanted to sit down uh, so the new CEO of Numerics is a man named uh, Emmanuel Manny Conti and he has a very interesting background. And so we just talk, kind of talk about where does he see his background taking the company? Because the one thing I will say is like Steve O'Hanlon was, you know, he did a great job with numeric. So, uh, you know, it's, as best I can tell, I don't know. I'm not a user. But um, Steve came in and put his fingerprints and his his blueprint on the company. Mm-hmm. So the point of this conversation is to kind of figure out where Manny's going to be taking the company. I think it's a good conversation. Okay, let's get to it. All right. And now I'm joined by Emmanuel Manny Conti. Uh, Manny, may I call you Manny? It's our first time actually talking to each other. Yeah, please do. Yes. Okay. Well, you call me Anthony. You're not allowed to call me Tony. (laughs) No worries. (laughs) No, no, Tony's fine. Um, so we're going to get into, you know, we gave a little bit of an introduction already um, that you're the new CEO of Numerics. And we'll get into Numerics and risk and all that. But first, I want to start off with a bit of a, a, um, an assumption, let's say. I was, I know you graduated from Bowling Green, which for our readers globally might not know, it's in Ohio. And according to LinkedIn, your first job out of uh, out of university was with General Motors, famously headquartered in Detroit. So am I making a fair assumption that you are a Midwestern guy? I am. I grew up in Ohio. Um, 
And unfortunately, Tony, I uh, all my sports allegiances are still tied to Cleveland, and uh, well, they break my heart most years. <laughs> <laughs> as as a Bowling Green guy too, or do you just hate all things Toledo? Because that's what I was led to believe that Bowling Green <laughs> and Mac Toledo do not get along well. It's funny because uh, no, that's true. That is true. Although. When you're born in Ohio, I, I think it's you, you learn early on that it's Michigan that you're most uh, you know competitive with. Even though I didn't attend Ohio State, uh, that's that's the big team that I support. So you see, we're off to a terrible start because my <laughs> sister she went to Michigan, and I grew up a big Michigan fan. So we're already at odds with each other right off the bat. You know, some of my closest friends went to Michigan. You know, <laughs> um, I'm not one of those fans that that holds it against them. But, uh, well, yeah, we'll have to we'll have to watch a game together. You'll absolutely. see me. You'll see me more tense than you know probably most other times during the year. Oh, and also my girlfriend, she went to Akron, and so Akron University uh, when she immigrated over here. So yeah, so yeah, she did it. So it's like I was just telling her, I was like, oh, I'm interviewing somebody from Bowling Green, and she had some expletive words to say. But we'll we'll leave that for another time. We'll leave that for when we're watching. One, one not not to not to completely derail the podcast right getting uh -huh. started, but you know, <laughs> I, I went to graduate school at the University of Chicago, and there's a fun fact: it used to be in the Big Ten, and you know what school you know what school replaced them. Because the monsters of the Midway, which is associated with the Chicago Bears, uh -huh. actually was the University of Chicago's football team. Because there's a strip of grass in, uh, in, in, at the University of Chicago that's called the Midway. And that's where it came from. But they, they decided to focus solely on academics many decades ago and leave the Big Ten. And they right. were replaced by Michigan State. Wow. And I think the sum of money that they paid was probably they were not compensated fairly for what it's worth today, I'm sure. <laughs> well, you know, getting a, a degree from the University of Chicago is, is pretty good, too, though. So, you know, I think it might have worked out well for them in the long run. But <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> All right. So let's get into it here. So. It was funny. I wrote a column. Um, so numerics had acquired um, an analytics company called FinCAD, and <laughs> I spoke um, with. Steve O'Hanlon, who uh, took over as numeric CEO, I think in like 2020, 2001, something like that, 2002, somewhere around there. And you know, we're having a conversation and everything. And then it took me about two or three weeks to actually write a story about it. And the day I published, the news alert came across that you were taking over as the CEO. I was like, oh man, that's terrible timing on, on our part. But uh, So you're the person I, I should thank. Yeah, exactly. So I guess to start off with, Steve is a very well-known figure in the industry, very well respected. He oversaw the the tremendous growth of numerics over this two-decade span. Um, so did you guys know each other prior to joining numerics? What was your kind of connection both to numerics and to Steve, or was your connection more to Genstar, the private equity company that owns uh, numerics? Yeah, certainly. Uh, well, first off, you're, you're exactly right. Uh, Steve has uh, a great legacy in which you know he's had over the last couple of decades at Numerics and really built an incredible franchise with you know unbelievable blue chip clients. Um, and I, I I did not know Steve uh, before, uh, you know before joining, uh, but I've had the, the pleasure of speaking with him and you know he's our vice chair and you know been able to pick his brain because as you can imagine there's there's a lot of institutional knowledge that he has. Um, 
I've been, um, you know, happy to dig into this more about my background, but, um, you know, I've worked with a couple different uh, PE firms uh, over the last 10 years in which I've been CEO of various companies. And, uh, and through that time, you get to know various, you know, PE firms and, and Genstar is one of those firms I've gotten to know over the last few years. Mm-hmm. Okay. What is it about numerics that you, because you have a, a very wide and extensive um, uh, career as an executive. What was it about numerics that you're like, this is the right opportunity for me. This is the right situation for me. And I want the honest answer. I don't want the, you know, everybody knows who numerics is. So I want the honest, not just uh, the sales pitch, but what do you got? <laughs> yeah. Well, look, I, 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 uh, I joined personally, so there's <laughs> only, you know, I could only be honest. Uh, there were no other reasons that drew me to the company than my own personal interest, or I wouldn't have joined, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there are obviously other things I could have done, um, but what really attracted me to the company, and, you know, when I think about companies and think about growth and think about, you know, potentially scaling businesses and taking them to, to new heights, you know, there's a couple key things that you need, and one is really being great at something, whatever that might be, and, and they are and we, I should say, are very strong in the areas of risk and analytics for complex products. Uh, and Numerics has built that reputation and has been time and tested with some of the largest institutions you know, across the world. Um, and so that really was attractive that they had a, a, a strong market position in a particular category. So that was, that was the first thing. The, the second is that was global. All of my experience that I've had is is leading global companies, so that was attractive to me. And I would say third, the market uh, is really fragmented. You know, it's not, you know, certainly there's some large players in in and around our space, but in terms of adjacencies uh, near uh, where numerics plays, fragmented. And, and yeah, I'd be curious in your perspective, Tony, but I was trying to figure out, it's like, why why is this market as fragmented as it is? There are so many that are founder-led, and it appears that many are coming available at roughly the same time, which is unique because I've studied a lot of different markets uh, from, a, from a private equity investment perspective, and you, you don't always find those dynamics. You might see it fragmented, but none are really available. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that you know, the, the, um, the advent of you know, uh, Computational and financial enge- uh, 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 financial engineering, if you will, uh, and quantitative finance kind of emerged in the late '80s, early '90s. A lot of those folks started at some of the largest financial institutions, and they decided, you know, I, I think I could go do, you know, create a company based on my specific knowledge, yeah. and um, and they did, and they successfully served various niches. Um, but they're starting to get to a point in their career where you know, they're ready to sell. Yeah. Uh, and we've seen just in the in the few weeks that I've been here, the, a, a significant number of companies that have reached out to us proactively talking about, you know, we see what you're doing, this platform you're trying to create. We think we have similar DNA to what you have. And, um, you know, that was really attractive to me. And in my sh- short few weeks, it's the thesis seems to hold. Yeah. So those, those we- things really, really were attractive to me because that that is not true in every industry that you might look at. Yeah, you know, to me, the, the the way that I see it, but I'm not, you're an expert. I'm, I, I talk to the experts. I'm not the expert. Um, but from, to, from the conversations that I've had, 
I think what we've really seen is, and you, I think you see this with the FinCAD acquisition, is this you know, cloud becoming so much more prevalent and delivering managed services or uh, software as a service or any of the other as a service acronyms that you want to use, risk as a service, I'm sure you guys like. Um, so that kind of in the last, certainly in the last 10 years, but certainly over the last five years, and then you kind of see the ability to deliver um, information software via API. You see the um, more wider adoption of open source tools, and that has kind of led to. So originally it was big data was a thing. Give us all the data we can have. But then it became let's provide context and analytics around that data and cloud leads to you know, uh, open source leads to API, which leads to machine learning and so on and so forth. And that's where I think the technology development has been over the last few years. And I think in the acquisition of FinCAD, uh, uh, you know, with their buy, strong um, uh, presence on the buy side and the way that they deliver their tools and services, that kind of seemed like the, the kind of the foundational uh, layer for the acquisition of numerics of FinCAD. Maybe I'm, I don't know. What do you think about what I had to say there? As yeah, I well, I on. think you're touching on all the key points that I think attracted, uh, you know, numerics to buy FinCAD. Obviously, as you know, that preceded me by just a few weeks, uh, although the board did enroll me, uh, you know, as they were thinking about it. But um, first and foremost, as we think about who we are, and, and I think you know this, uh, we're a risk and analytics business and specifically um, earned our stripes in, in pricing and assessing the risk of, of complex products. Um, FinCAD brought some of that, but also the ability to price at speed, you know, vanilla-like products, and then also increased our asset coverage and gave us more depth and fixed income. Mm -hmm. So if you think about, um, you know, numerics in our core, how do we double down on what we're good at across different asset classes. That's one dimension that we're looking at in terms of both organic growth and inorganic growth is how do we become really expert across different asset class from a risk and analytics perspective. The second dimension to think about is how do we play uh, more effectively across the trade life cycle between front to risk. Mm -hmm. And so the way we're, we're, we're prioritizing certain areas is thinking about where does risk and analytics make the most difference across different work steps, if you will, across trade, across trade by cycle. And that's, that's how we're kind of framing various companies that we're evaluating, as well as our own internal programs. Well, let me ask you this then. Um, I don't know if you'll agree with this assessment, but, you know, because again, it's our first time talking, so... But in the you know, your 20, 30 years that you've been in the industry, in, in the business, the companies you work for, I would not say are what numerics does. So you have um, like Opus Global, you have Dun & Bradstreet, um, even a Kroll, which does risk, but they're not what numerics does. It's, you know, mm -hmm. capital markets, you know, derivatives, risk analytics. And you said being great at something was something that drew you to numerics. And so numerics has this hardcore risk analytics system. Coming as a bit of an outsider, and to be fair, Steve, I think, was an outsider. He, he was at something called NetExchange, I think, uh, before he joined. Coming as a bit of an outsider from what 
being great at something of what numerics does, what advantages do you think that that brings? Where in the first you know couple of weeks since you've taken over as CEO, where have you found that you needed to kind of catch up and get better at? Yeah, well, so so first of all, I, I it's a, it's fair characterization that I am not a capital markets expert, no question. But whether it be Dun and Bradstreet, whether it be Kroll, whether it be uh, Opus, there's common theme, which is one serving financial institutions, servicing various risk needs that they have in analytics. The second is, is various transitions that those companies have gone through kind of mirror what Numerics has gone through. Mm-hmm. d we went through a, a, a transition in which we were selling, you know, data kind of at, in bulk uh, and then moved to a data as a service model and creating cloud applications in which we wrapped workflow around the data to create analytics. And so we started selling, we even used the term risk as a service there. Uh, granted, different use cases, we were more on the credit risk side and, and trade credit risk, um, but we also did some other use cases as well. So, so those things are familiar to me. You know, the, the companies that we sell to, I sold to, the topics around risk, the same. But the complexities around, um, you know, capital markets, derivative pricing, all those things, you know, are new and certainly been a major focus of mine as I've been onboarding. The great news is, is the company's filled with experts. Uh, so um, I, I probably give them some space that they, uh, you know, where they can run and, and take over, take care of those things. But, but nonetheless, I think for me, what I add to the team is more from a from a strategy and execution perspective in terms of how to scale a business. Then I, I don't think the company is missing anything as it relates to its depth and knowledge as it relates to derivative pricing. As even, I know this is kind of, a, it's an awkward question, but I, I like to talk about myself. I have no problem, you know, giving myself a pat on the back, but maybe for a Midwestern guy, it might be a little bit more difficult. But as you're getting to know the new team that you're that you're with, what do you think your strengths as a manager are? What, do, what have you learned? Maybe a better question is, what have you learned in your career that has helped to shape who you are today as a manager, as somebody that's going to lead this company? What, what, what do I see as my strength? What do you see as your strength? What are some of the kind of key lessons that you've learned along the way? Yeah, you know, it, it might sound canned, but it's not. Um, the, the, for me, the first thing you learn as a leader is that you, you can't win alone. You, you have to lead an entire organization and get them pulling in all one direction. Um, you know, that various people talk about, you know, think about rowboats and everybody rows in the same, you know, at the same time you get to the destination faster, et cetera. But, but from, a, from a values perspective, um, ultimately, uh, the thing I've learned is something I've called the power of one. You have to get the team focused on one mission, operating as one team and speaking in one voice. And like I said, it might sound canned, but it's really hard. And those three things, if companies operate in that way, have clarity on their direction, operate as one team and speak in one voice, they win. And if you don't, you'll be a laggard. And, you know, you'll talk about values with companies, you know, they'll talk about, you know, the importance of integrity and other things. Those are, those are important, but they're not differentiators. That's table stakes. The yeah. hard stuff is is the stuff that I talked about part one, and it's something that I introduced you know the team about me on day one when i when I introduced myself. And so 
everything that we're doing from a company perspective has you know that those three lenses how does that lens and this idea of power of one obviously there are more than it's more than likely that there will be more acquisitions for numerics coming down the pipeline um there's always that risk of acquiring too much too fast and not integrating properly um or not having a clear strategy and just acquiring simply because this is good value and we think it, we think we can make this work and then you kind of realize oh no we we didn't really know how to make this work how do you take that philosophy power of one clarity of just you know having one site and having that inform the acquisitions that you're going to be making in the future or, or the deals that you're going to look to make in the future yeah Really good question. You know, uh, this is where mission is important. You know, where are you going to play and how do you win? You know, or where you have the right to win. When you have clarity about that, it starts to help you prioritize the deals that that uh, make the most sense. Mm-hmm. Our our strategy is not to create a federation of assets. It, it just isn't. And, and you know, some people will pick on certain companies where it's not worked. Some companies have done it successfully. It's just not our choice. We think. And our thesis is, is that numerics uh, represented an opportunity to build a single platform. And so FinCAD is, is going to be added to that platform. Now, there are aspects of FinCAD that will actually expand our platform. So it, it, it's, it's kind of nice. So we can take kind of the best of both companies. But we, we are prioritizing the types of companies we look at based on how it fits with our strategy and our ability to integrate it across those two dimensions I mentioned earlier around, you know, does it help strengthen our risk and analytics you know, asset coverage? And, and does it uh, fill out various work steps in terms of trade life cycle? As it relates to execution, Tony, good old-fashioned leadership. On the same day I started, I hired, I, I, someone came with me to lead M&A integration. So the company has a new role focused on integration, and he is doing a great job in terms of executing on our plan for FinCAP, as well as as we start to look at other acquisitions, help us establish the processes, if you will, around when we acquire companies, what's our playbook? How do we bring people on board? How do we integrate their products more effectively? There are certain systems that we probably should have in place that are more scalable than perhaps the ones we're using. You know, maybe it's our payroll system. Maybe we should use another one that that's more scalable as an example. Yeah. So I'm going to use the company names. You don't have to agree with the company names, but to kind of articulate for our audience, maybe. But there, there, there are kind of three styles in M&A that I've seen in the industry. And you have one style, it's your kind of SS and C ion kind of we're just going to acquire a lot of different pieces, though we're not going to necessarily integrate or there might be a little bit of crossover. You have on the opposite of that, you have Bloomberg, and I had someone describe it as they're like the Borg. They're all about ruthless integration of everything that they acquire. And then there's companies in the middle that a little bit integrate here, but then these pieces over here might be kept separately. It sounds like what you're saying is you're you're leaning more toward that. Bloomberg, we're going, we want this, we want the piece that we acquire to be fully integrated and become one piece of this numerics uh, suite of services. Yeah, we're, we're certainly trying to, you know, our, our, our strategy with FinCAD and others is to create, you know, one platform. 
I think they, you know, I, I can't speak to Bloomberg, but they're, they're, the, the one thing that I would say is that we are open-minded that some aspects of what another company might have might be the thing we want to integrate around, integrate into, as opposed to the other way around. So we're not, um, you know, so so uh, inflexible in which we say, you know, this is the best way. It doesn't matter how you do it. We just know we'd rather have standards, and it's our standards. I'll give a simple example. You know, one thing that FinCAD did that was really neat was that they use Salesforce. We use Salesforce. You know, most companies use that as a CRM. Um, but they used a module called CPQ, which just automates the, you know, kind of the invoicing and pricing uh, component. And we didn't. We're going, boy, that's really probably a better way to do it. So we will leverage that capability that they have within Salesforce and use that enterprise-wide. So we we will take best practices as we see them and integrate them into our world. Okay. As a manager, so we've been talking about like the strategy of of yourself and 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 numerics going forward and some of the acquisitions obviously but something that we like to talk about is on this podcast and at waters technology is just the incredible pace of innovation and technological evolution that we're seeing in this space um mm -hmm. like i said at the beginning from we went from just you know 10 years ago no one was going to use the public cloud to Microsoft, AWS, and Google being, you know, too big to fail almost, yeah? Um, so as a manager and as somebody, as you said, numerics is being great at something. And what they're great at is, well, I'm not saying great. Well, you're, you're saying it's great. I'm trying to be an impartial journal uh, journalist here. But um, <laughs> but what they, what numerics has obviously done well is the complex derivatives and you know complex instruments and obviously you can do the vanilla stuff as well but these it's it's not easy to do hence why numerics is what it is on the industry as somebody that's not a hardcore technologist as an executive that's trying to lead a company you see this innovation around machine learning, large language models is a very popular topic right now, generative AI yes. and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. I sit on a board of a company that does that, yeah. So how yeah. do you try and make sure that maybe you're not on the bleeding edge, but that you're also not kind of falling on the back foot of these kind of revolutions in technology that are happening, you know, at speed as quantum is coming down the pike and whatever else is coming down the pike that we don't even know about right now. How do you kind of, try and make sure that you're on top and that you guys are innovative and sophisticated, but that you also aren't blowing R&D on stuff that's just never going to pan out for the company. Yeah, yeah. So so in, in, in my, uh, in, and, and we're actually having these conversations internally now, but in past life, um, we segregate between hardcore R&D or innovation from renovation. Um, and so I think oftentimes companies kind of commingle those two areas and all that what all that happens is is innovation gets diluted. Mm -hmm. And and so, you know, innovation labs can test a lot of these new, you know, technologies. And oftentimes it's use case specific. You know, the application of these technologies is not always relevant across all use cases. They might not even be ready, but it's important for us to learn how to use them. And so uh, for us, I think that you'll 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 see us be more uh, clear about 
you know, how we, you know, what we're testing, the types of resources we're putting against it, um, and, and the agenda items, because uh, some we will focus on and others we might wait. Um, the other thing is, is get hearing from our clients. Um, you know, I've, I've had the opportunity to meet with many, many clients and they get great feedback, you know, because they're working on things too. They're, they're not, you know, they're not looking to just outsource everything uh, to, to vendors. So they're testing all kinds of different technologies and they give us feedback on what they think works, what they're a little worried about, you know, as it relates to AI, you know, in some instances they're a little worried because they're not quite sure how the AI came up with an answer. So it's not auditable. So in certain regulatory constructs, it's not really a great use case, at least today. There's some AI tools that have promised to show transparency, but we'll see. Yeah. Um, and so, so I think a combination of, you know, ensuring that the organization has focus of, you know, responsibilities of who's going to do what and what we're going to test and have an agenda and be properly resourced is important and listening to our customers. That's how I've dealt with this in the past. But all the topics that you raised are topics that, you know, quite frankly, we're already, you know, working on. Yeah. And yeah. it's interesting as it relates to cloud. Um, I, you know, I knew this before joining, but, uh, you know, financial institutions have been, have been, um, you know, somewhat slow to adopt the cloud. It certainly has accelerated over the last few years. And I would say that um, at least the different parts of the banks that I've sold into probably were further along. And I think capital markets are starting to catch up. Um, and so we're definitely seeing demand for our cloud products and solutions uh, to be quite strong. Well, no, I think that's it's, it's a good point you make that, especially as it relates specifically to capital markets. It feels like cloud was something that like just even at the conferences that we host um when you would talk to different banks and stuff like that it's own like now everybody wants to be like oh we're cloud but when you actually talk to them and having a beer at you know the white horse tavern on uh on uh on bridge street in the financial district i always like to give them a plug um but when you're having a conversation with them at a bar off the record they're like, no, we're we're twenty percent there. We're you know very very slow compared to other industries, certainly. So, I think that's also when you were talking about beginning, the increase M and A, the increase you know what's on sale is like, you know you you can't just be a small niche minnow anymore because you you have this platform that's like locked in at a bank. You have to be nimble. You have to be able because and you have to prove your value because it's so easy firms now through cloud through as a service architectures to deliver those services to deliver that data that you know it, it, you can really fall behind very quickly is the way that i see it i don't know if if that makes any sense of what i said there but yeah well look the pace of innovation is faster on the cloud than it is on prem yeah just structurally and and so i think i think our clients are feeling that they're also feeling the fact that I think the regulatory demands on their business is creating situations in which they may think that they need so much compute power one day and the very next day they need to, you know, create a report in a matter of a week yeah. and they don't have the compute yeah. and they have to go buy servers and, 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 um, and provision them and it just takes too long while in the cloud, as you know, you can spin up and spin it down in, in a matter of seconds. And so they see that flexibility of just simple compute, uh, you know, having on-demand compute to be a huge driver. 
but there's all kinds of other features and functions that we can provide um, that is just much more difficult uh, from an on-prem perspective. And, and quite frankly, the ROI is there too, because you know the more you use on-prem, the more integration it has, the more bespoke integrations you have. Um, and so every additional component that you wanna add to it just creates more complexity. And so by bringing it to the cloud, you just remove all of that and it's just far, it's far more, it, 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 it allows you to innovate at a faster pace. So anyways, I think, but I think the major driver for a lot of our clients is just simply, how do I scale up really quickly? Nope. And the easiest got way. More, I got two more questions for you, two quick questions. And the first one is um, uh, uh, my colleague, Victor Anderson, he always likes asking people this and I have taken it on too. I, I think it's a good question, but what is it that keeps you up at night? What is it as a business leader that keeps you up at night? I, I don't know if anything keeps me up. I'm not, you know, it, I understand the intent of the question. Um, for me, it's all about pace. How do we keep up with the pace of change? I think it's easy to rest on your laurels as any company, especially when you have the strongest market position as we do. So ensuring that we're moving faster than our clients, even though that might be frustrating at times, I, I think that's benefited uh, numerics in the past. I think you know being at cl being cloud first, being one of the one of the few companies a few years ago to offer a cloud solution, I think it benefited the company. So I, I think us ensuring that we're we're keep you know um, you know driving the change agenda, or, or I shouldn't call it our clients drive the change agenda, but leading them in the thinking i think is important because once they get there mm -hmm. you don't want to be behind them because yeah. they'll, they'll move on without you so i think it's just keeping up you know with the pace of change i think is you know even though i sleep well i, I think it is <laughs> it, yeah, it answers the spirit of the question fair enough no i think it's good it's a good answer um yeah. the toughest question for you is will ohio state ever be a jim harbaugh led michigan team ever again in the future Yes, wow. but I don't know when. I don't See, know when. all your other all, all your other answers have been negated by that response. Right <laughs> Every Ohio State fan is, you know, no matter how long the streak was of beating Jim Harbaugh or Michigan, just losing the last year just feels like an eternity. So, uh, oh, but congrats. You know, it's God. funny. My friends, my friends, and I have a standing bet that they owe one another lunch if you know one team you know beats the other team and. After a certain period of time, I started feeling sorry for him, saying, "You know, you don't have to buy lunch anymore." Well, now, yeah. you know, I, I I don't feel I don't feel sorry for them anymore. Uh, I'm hoping they feel sorry for me. Very good, man. Well, I I appreciate it. it was a good first uh, chat with you. So I appreciate you taking time out and talking with us. Uh, real great, nice to meet you, Tony. Appreciate the time. <laughs>